Hello, everyone. I'm Adley. And I'm Emily. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Dark Damned and Disturbed. Welcome, everyone. The camera froze on your side. <laughs> so that stupid face you were making is all I see right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so we are back today with an Emily-centric episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited for this one. So we're just going to go ahead and jump yeah. on in. We're going to get into it. So today we're going to talk about Edmund Kemper the third. Um, also known as the co-ed killer. I know he's pretty well known. Um, I must have been under a rock because, you know, I, I didn't know that much about him. Um, so Ed, Ed boy, he was born December 18th, 1948. Shout out my wedding anniversary. We know why you picked a girl. <laughs> Hit to Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper II in Burbank, California. His childhood was terrible, um, which I'd like to note, like, there's a pattern here between, like, you know, murderers and bad childhoods. It's just a thing. I really think we're going to do a whole episode one day on the whole, like, nature versus nurture thing. Yes. And how the disconnect that there is with that. Yes, for sure. So his mother was an alcoholic who was physically and emotionally abusive. It's said that she possibly suffered from borderline personality disorder. Boo. She blamed all of her issues and problems on her son. Um, Edmund Jr., his dad, was actually said, he actually said, quote, suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. I feel like I feel like Gary probably feels like that with me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes, guys. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. Gary, I know you're listening, so you're probably running right now. <laughs> Ed had a close relationship with his father, so when his parents separated in 1957, he was absolutely devastated. He and his two sisters went to live with their mother in Montana. And it, it didn't really go well. Um, some of Ed's favorite childhood activities included playing with dead animal parts, decapitating his sister's doll's heads, which he said, quote, I remember there was actually a sexual thrill. You hear that little pop and then pull their heads off and hold them up by the hair. Kimber later said, whipping their heads off, their bodies would just sit there and that would get me off. Blech. When this- Ed was... So not the time for this. <laughs> Why did the first thing that just came into my head was that song? All you ladies probably to like this. <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right words, but that's just what came into my head. <laughs> oh my! Whew. Why did that come into my? I don't know. That's definitely going to stay in for the episode because, you know. Love it. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> Someone take the mic away. <laughs> when Ed was 10, he buried the family cat alive. He waited two weeks, dug the cat back up, decapitated it, and put its head on a stick. Three years after that, another family cat goes missing. His mother actually finds this cat's des- dismembered body in his closet and when she asked why he did it, he said that the cat liked his sister more than him. 
What? Okay. I I wish I would have looked up what's his sign. What's the sign for December? Sagittarius. Mm, I don't feel like that's very Sag of him. I don't know. I don't know. Gary's a Sagittarius and he don't be killing cats. (laughs) Shout out Gary. Not not to my knowledge. I mean... (laughs) You never... You know, we don't know. Anyway... He would have his sisters play made-up games called Gas Chamber and Electric Chair, both in which he would have his sisters tie him up, and then he would writhe in agony until he died. He would, um, he would have them like flip a switch, and then he would just, you know, in the electric chair. Oh my god! His mother would lock him up in the basement at night out of fear that he would hurt his two sisters. So. And it, it was said that he, he kind of suffered, you know, obviously he suffered down there. It was just him in the dark in a basement. And he wasn't allowed to get out, I guess, until morning. Uh. At the age of 14, he was allowed to go to Los Angeles to live with his dad, where he discovered that his dad was actually remarried and had a stepson. Living there was pretty short-lived. He creeped his stepmother out, essentially, and... Edmund Jr., his dad, sent him back to Montana and claimed or told him that he was financially unable to keep him, so he couldn't stay there. A few months later, around Thanksgiving, Ed ran away from home to go back to Los Angeles, more creeping his stepmother out. He would follow her around, and it it said that, like, he would close the blinds as she would open them and just, like, follow her. Very creepy, very unsettling. And then he would also stare at her, just like sit and like stare at her. Kids be doing creepy things sometimes, but like that's a. He was on X Games mode, girl. That's like the Olympic team of creepy, (laughs) so. Kemper was sent to live with his grandparents, Edmund Emil Kemper and Maude, in late 1963. His father actually brought him for Christmas and then left him there until the holidays were over, you know. Boy, hey, let's go visit your grandparents. Psych! I'm leaving you here. What That's what I felt like it was. <laughs> what a Christmas <laughs> gift his grandparents got. Jesus. <laughs> Just kidding. You're staying. Surprise. You got a child. Clarnell actually spoke on the phone with her ex-husband um, to tell him about the cat situation. And she also warned him, quote, this guy is a really funny bird. Guy is one of his nicknames. And you're taking a risk by leaving him with your parents. You may be surprised to wake up one morning and learn that they have been killed. And eight months later, at age 15, they would become Ed's first victims. His very own grandparents, y'all. His grandfather gifted him a rifle, but it was taken away as he kept killing birds and other small animals. He didn't like that. Um, on August 27th, Kemper shot his grandmother, Maud in the kitchen after an argument. He shot her in the head and then two more times in the back. Jesus. He then went outside on the front porch to wait for his grandfather to come home so that he could shoot him before he found out that Maud was dead. Oh, my God. So he wouldn't have to find out that his wife was dead. Ed later also says that he shot his grandma to, quote, see what it feels like. Mm -hmm. After he murdered them, he called his mother, confessed. He was sent to Atascadero State Hospital as a criminally insane juvenile. Court psychiatrists said that he had paranoid schizophrenia. 
and a very high IQ. Um, we're talking like 145. But he's real smart. <clears throat> and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what the scale is for like IQs. <laughs> um, so I've taken an IQ test before. It was online. So like I take it with a grain of salt. But she's smart. Mine, guys. mine was on par with like the level of education that I've received. So mine was like a 130 or a 131. But they said that like wow. that's that's average for someone who has like a bachelor's, I guess. It just but some people like, you know, I don't I don't think he really went to school, but a lot like some people are just born like super high IQs. So maybe he was just I, it seems to me like that was more so what happened with him was he was just someone yeah. who happened to be just smart. Yeah. And sometimes like intelligence and things like that like an iq test is not like any test you would take in school like from the ones i've taken it's like you have to like catch on to patterns and like be able to tell like what would you know those like math tests where it would be like oh what would be the next number in this like sequence mm-hmm. of numbers and then like where you'd have the squares each like a different one was blocked like, like colored in and then you would have to like guess the pattern like it's more so things like that than like when did Abraham Lincoln take office? Like, it's not things like that. It's not like a normal, like, school test. It's a lot more in-depth. Catch me taking an IQ test. <laughs> I did it online, which, like I said, I don't know how accurate it is, but I've taken, like, two or three of them, and I've always gotten around the same score, like, around... I think I got, like, a one, like a 130 and, like, a 131, and every time the test was essentially the same, I'm sure that the people who actually put out, like, legitimate IQ tests they probably do it differently but the ones i've taken that's what they've been like so we're gonna try it girl do it at the hospital psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with this saying with his um with his diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia saying that kempard showed quote no fight no flight of ideas no interference with thought no expression of delusions or hallucinations and no evidence of bizarre thinking they said that he was intelligent and introspective and he was re-diagnosed with a personality trait disturbance, passive aggressive type. <clears throat> Ed is released on December 18th, 1969 at the age of 21 con- after convincing psychiatrists that he was actually re- rehabilitated. He befriended his psychologist while he was in there and even became his assistant. Against the wishes of several doctors at the hospital, he's actually released to his mother. The one person he has always been openly honest about hating her guts. He cannot stand his mother. Later on, he actually further convinces them that he was reformed and was able to have his juvenile record sealed forever. So, you know, that never, that stuff, he didn't kill his grandparents according to sealed records. So, Kimber worked odd jobs. He actually tried to become a police officer, but he was rejected because he was too big. This dude is 6'9 and about 300 pounds. He is so, like, he's just so large, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, it's scary. It's scary. Like, he's, yeah, I don't like him. Yeah. He was nicknamed Big Ed. And he actually maintained a relationship with the Santa Cruz police officers. He actually secured a job with the state of California's De Public of Department of Public Works, the Transportation Department. De um, this is where he would drive around and he would notice a lot of hitchhiking women. He would give them rides. And he said, quote, 
At first, I picked up girls just to try to talk to them, just to try to get acquainted with people my own age, try to strike up a friendship. Keep in mind, he's 21 years old and he's never experienced any kind of relationship or love or any of that. He went to jail at 15. He's never even really had friends. Yeah, like, so... He would try to he would try to just make friends. And when later asked what crossed his mind when he saw a pretty girl, he said, one side of me says, wow, what an attractive chick. I'd like to talk to her, date her. And the other side of me says, I wonder how her head would look on a stick. He really took a turn there. <laughs> <laughs> really fast. Uh, I want to note here that the Bay Area was completely overrun with murderers at this time. We had Ed, we had John Lindley Frazier and... Herbert Mullen, they were all active at the same time. Why anyone continued to live there during this time that was really baffles just me. Thing, like, what an unfortunate time to, to live in the Bay Area. <laughs> like, how do you not just move? I guess maybe you couldn't sell your house. <laughs> no one was looking to move there at the time. So. No, we don't want to live there. So no. we're going to go ahead and talk about his first three victims. May 7th, 1972, Mary Ann Pesce and Anita Lucese. I put that in Google Translate. Very proud of myself. Congrats. They were both 18. They were students at Fresno State College. The girls were hitchhiking to Stanford University after spending a couple of days in Berkeley. They actually never made it to their destination. Surprise. Their families reported them missing shortly after they went missing. I said missing too many times. It's they okay. reported them missing. They're missing. Oh, my God. <laughs> In case you guys are missing it, they're missing. <coughs> they're missing everyone. So their family reports them missing, but nothing was ever found out or turned up like immediately. And nothing was known about their whereabouts until August 15th when a female head was discovered in the woods. Edmund killed them both shortly after picking them up. After driving them around for a little bit, he takes his gun from under his seat, pulls off to a deserted area. He put Anita in the trunk. He handcuffed Mary, laid her across the back seat face down, put a plastic bag over her head, and then attempted to strangle her with a terry cloth. This girl did not go without a fight. She bit a hole into the bag, and then the cloth snapped. So this made Ed very mad, very frustrated. Um, he pulled out his knife, and he stabbed her repeatedly. Jesus. Eventually, he slit her throat, and then he removed Anita from the trunk, and with a nar- larger knife, he just began to stab her. She also fought and screamed, but eventually, you know, he's six nine, three hundred pounds. No, so can overpower him. So yeah, he overpowered her and did kill her. So Ed Boyd decided that he was going to drive around in the car with the bodies, while he was trying to figure out what to do with them. You know, he didn't get this far. Like he killed them. Now what? I'm not a serial he, killer, but I'm willing to bet the answer is not leave them in the trunk of your car. No, like, you come up with a plan, guys. Like, <laughs> they, they just didn't have a plan. So, he was actually pulled over that night with the bodies in his car for a broken taillight. And if that cop would have searched his car, he would have been caught. Because Ed is a felon. Oh, yeah. Well, his record is you know. Cold. It's sealed, but they know. Like, the sheriff's department knows. No, but they can't use that against him. Oh. If your record is sealed, it's sealed. It's like it never happened. Like, only the court can act well. like that. So, I, if I'm not mistaken, but 
a lot of times, I mean, I know it's really easy to say like, and I, I have the same mentality, like crap, like had they just searched the car that night, but like, you got to think if one of us gets pulled over for a, an out taillight, like why would they need to search your car? Like, yeah, true. If you're very like, if you're, especially because his record is sealed, I'm almost, I'm about 95% positive that they can't access that. So like, had he been one of the people that was involved in his initial arrest, then he could have been like, oh, I kind of know what this guy has done before. We need to look more into this. Let me search his car. Sure, but... Let's check and make sure he's good. Yeah, but they can't... Once the record is sealed, it's sealed. Like, they can't even... That's also, like, the double jeopardy thing, too. He could never be... It can never be brought up again. He Once it's sealed, it's sealed. Well, dang. Yeah. Well, he gets pulled over, gets his ticket. You know, the cop lets him go. Eventually, he brings the bodies into his apartment... Um, trigger warning. He rapes both of their bodies, dismembers them, and puts their bodies into plastic bags uh. before disposing of their heads in a ravine. <clears throat> Ed rapes, yes, Ed rapes their decapitated heads. <gasps> and in August, Mary's skull was found on Loma, Pre- Loma Prieta Mountain, and the rest of her remains um, were never found. Nor were Anita's. We have, you know, they're never found. Later that same year, September 14th, Ed picks up Aiko Ku. She was on her way to dance class. She was 15 years old. Mm. On her way to dance class, but she got tired of waiting for the bus, so she decided to hitchhike instead. Aiko caught on to Ed's plan pretty fast. You know, he picked her up. Somehow, Ed managed to lock himself out of the car... But Aiko let him back inside the car. Oh, no. She was in the car with the gun. The doors are locked. Oh. Um, he convinced her that he was planning to use that gun to kill himself. And that if she didn't try to signal police or anybody else, she would not be harmed. He taped her mouth shut and tried suffocating her by putting his thumb and index fingers in her nostrils. Uh. She fought lost consciousness, and then she woke back up again uh, moments later. Ed began to suffocate her again, this time until she she quit breathing. He took her out of the car, raped her, strangled her again with her own scarf. Mm. <clears throat> and then when he was absolutely sure she was dead, he put her in the trunk and left the scene. This time he actually stops at a local bar. It's a local cop bar. Oh. It's called the Jury Room. Ugh. Mm-hmm. You know, right. all his buddies are there. He has a few beers with his local cop friends. I remember he and about him like some of this with the cops, and it was just like so crazy. Like, yeah, nobody expected it. Nobody knew. <clears throat> um, he said that from time to time he would go out to his car, open his trunk, and just gaze at his kills. Ooh. Ooh. Weirdo. Later that night, he goes to his apartment placed her body on his bed, dissected her just like Mary and Anita, decapitated her, cut her hands off. Um, I'm not really sure why he did that, but he cut her hands off, disposed of those in a different location away from her body. Very little of her was ever found, and her disappearance was, at the time, not thought to be related to Mary and Anita. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just don't, you know. I don't know. You don't, you don't really start to notice a pattern that soon, so... Mm-hmm. 
Four months go by and Ed's not a suspect. Uh, remember, he's very well liked. Local police call him Big Ed. <clears throat> he's friends with everybody. He goes on January 8th, 1973, and he buys a 22 automatic pistol that he's still not allowed to have because of his prior crime. Mm -hmm. I know it's sealed, but he's still, you know, he's not allowed to have a gun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He goes and buys one. That same day, he actually stepped it up and went back to killing. He picked up Cynthia Ann Shaw. They called her Cindy. She was 18. Drove her to the hill, drove her to the hills near Watsonville, forced her into the trunk and shot her. The bullet was lodged into her skull and um, around this time, Ed had actually moved back in with his mother. So he brought the body, her body, to the duplex where him and his mother were living. And when Clarnell left for work the next morning, he had sex with her corpse, dissected her in the bathtub, and it said that he did a really good job at cleaning everything up. He removed the bullet from her skull as to take away any identifying... You know, because he bought a gun that day. He buried her head in his mother's backyard. And then later he put the rest of her body in pieces into different bags and threw them off of a cliff. But this time her body was discovered in 24 hours. Ed noticed that, but he wasn't worried because of how careful he was at cleaning everything. Um, and a month later he was ready to kill again. Also, just so we know, I did like double check what happens when your records are sealed so it says when your record is sealed it means it cannot be accessed by normal means those those considering you for employment or who are petitioning for a loan or you or who you are petitioning for alone cannot look into these records during a background check furthermore you can generally legally deny that the events on your records ever happened and it also another website says once your records are sealed they will not show up on any state or federal background checks, and you must file a written motion with the court to seal your records. So, like, he had to petition to have his records sealed. But basically, yeah, it wouldn't... They would have to do, like, some serious digging to find out with absolute certainty that his records, that that ever even existed. And yeah, if he's friends with all the cops, they're not going to be doing that. They're not going to suspect him to be in with, so why would they... Why would they do it? Why would they look? So, February 5th, 1973, Ed and Clarnell had a really big fight, and Ed stormed out. A lot of Ed's killing, murdering, um, was really focused around his mother. Whenever they would argue or fight, he would get angry, and, you know, he would just peace out, want to kill somebody. <laughs> this time, he picks up Rosalind Thorpe. She was 24. And he also stopped for another hitchhiker. Her name was Alice Lou. She was 21. Alice apparently didn't hesitate to get in the car. They, um, it was noted that he had like some kind of college sticker on the back of his window because his mother was a teacher. So, you know, she saw that and she was like, oh, cool. Like, you're safe. Yikes. So she doesn't hesitate to get in the car. Um, they all rode around together, um, talked, hung out. Ed doesn't even stop the car to kill this time, though. He was basically like, oh, look, over there to Rosalind, and then pulled out his 22 and shot her in the head. <clears throat> he shoots Alice as well several times, but unlike Rosalind, she doesn't die immediately. He shot her point blank once he got out of town, and that was the shot that killed her. He moved both bodies to the trunk and stopped for gas and then went to the duplex where he lives with his mother. 
and <clears throat> I guess his mom was home. Um, so he was like, yo, I got to go buy cigarettes because he like he went home and yeah. then he goes inside. See, she's there. He was like, I got to go buy cigarettes. So he pulls the car to the street, opens the trunk, beheads the bodies. The next morning, he brought Alice's body inside, had sex with it in his room. A headless body. I Then he brought he brought Rosalind's head inside so that he could remove the bullet, loaded everything up, drove away from Santa Cruz to dispose of most of the body parts, um, and then he went to Pacifica to get rid of the head and hands. How is so he tried to separate no them. one in his neighborhood seeing anything? That's what I'm very confused by. Like, he's, he's I don't know, carrying girl. bits and pieces of people inside. I'm like... Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly like a nosy neighbor, but like when my neighbors are doing stuff, I'm like looking through the blinds. I'm like, what are you doing? Me too. It also, it really trips me out. Another thing that doesn't make sense to me: why do you never see your neighbors bring home groceries? You know, whatever. We're just gonna. I think about that every time I bring home groceries. I'm like, who is anyone watching I'm like, me? No one else has brought groceries home. Like it's only ever me. Also, to, to total random thing, I forgot to tell you this: when Tori and I were driving to Multnomah Falls. We saw a plane that was dead stopped in the air. And I was literally like, Tori, why is that plane not moving? And she was like, it's moving. Like, we're just going to fast. I was like, no, it's literally, it was just sitting there. And I was like, no. It was a glitch in the matrix. I was just like, that's what I said. I was like, the simulation's glitching. I was like, I did not sign up to have to deal with this today. I was like, I thought we were going to look at a waterfall. And now I'm having an existential (laughs) crisis because planes don't make sense. Why is this plane dead stopped in the middle of the sky? And it was, I wish I could have gotten a picture of it, but I couldn't, but random tidbit for this i'm sorry but i forgot to tell you that that was really weeks ago and i just remembered there you go everyone that's how half of our thought about it when i was flying to and from san diego i was like what if we're stopped in the air right now like what if we're not even moving this is how half of our conversations go you guys and most of the time it's over text and then one of us just replies with don't talk to me like block (laughs) (laughs) block so no now we're going to get to the nastiest murders. Oh. Clarnell and her best friend, Sarah. Oh, okay. Not- Easter weekend. Yeah. Clarnell, yeah. I don't want to say this, but like. For some, for just because of what I know, hers is like, it's obviously, it's sad, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as the random people. Not that it was a warranted murder, but you know. Apparently- it's not what she was, in, she was, abu- it doesn't justify it. No, but. She was abusive and she had it coming, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, if anyone, I would have, like, because he did his grandparents, like, it's, I guess maybe that's what it is, like, because he killed his grandparents. It's not shocking to me that he would kill his mom. Maybe that's what it is. Like, I'm just, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm an apple. That's like, I don't want to say she had it cut. Like, that sounds, she had it cut. You know, she just, maybe I'm we knew it was going to happen. I don't know, but, but whatever. <laughs> so, Easter weekend, roughly a month after murdering Rosalind and Alice. He decided to kill his mother finally. He apparently waited all night long in his room while Clarnell slept peacefully. At 5.15 a.m., he gets a hammer from the kitchen and went to her room. He struck her once very hard and then slit her throat. Um, Within a minute, he killed and beheaded her. He removed her larynx in the process, and he actually tried to put it down the garbage disposal. Oh, my God. But, but it didn't work. 
Um, he, Ed said, quote, that seemed appropriate as much as she'd bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. Um, it said that when he put it in the, the garbage disposal, it spit it back. Yeah, they're not exactly designed to uh, <laughs> chop up human body parts, unfortunately. For no, not at all. <laughs> so he decapitates her, raped her head. His mom? Put it on a shelf. His mom? Yes. Oh, His no. mother. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, blocked. I'm hanging up. You see, Bye. she said, <laughs> quote, she said, quote, it's not really going to bother me. Now it's bothering me. Now it's, it's bothering me a lot. I'm <laughs> hanging up. Goodbye. This is the episode. Sorry, y'all. Y'all can Google the rest. <laughs> Bye. So he did that to his mother. He put her head on a shelf and then screamed at it. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Uh, and he said, he said, well, for the first time, she didn't argue with him. That's what she said. That's what he said. She can't argue said, with my me. My mom be trifling sometimes. Shout out Jill. But like, I'm not going to wait till she's dead and scream at her corpse. <laughs> no, he screamed at it. And then he also threw darts at it. Oh, my God. I'm not laughing. Just salty. It's funny. I don't know how else to respond. It's it's really messed up. This is horrible. It's terrible. Um, so ultimately, he smashes her head in. He hid her body in a, in a closet, cleaned up, and then he left the house. So um, that afternoon, he decided that if someone else were found to be dead with Clarnell, then suspicion might fall away from him. So he goes back to the duplex, calls his mother's best friend. Very rude. Sorry, I thought I had my computer on. Do not disturb. Jerry, thanks for texting me. Shout out, Jerry. It's not like she knew. I didn't <laughs> tell her to record. <laughs> anyway. anyway, anyway. He calls his mother's best friend, Sarah Hallett, to come over for dinner. Like, yo, come have dinner with me and my mom. Um, she didn't answer, but she called back around 5 p.m. to talk to Clarnell, and he invited her over then. Sarah arrives, and he strangles her almost immediately. Girl, he doesn't wait. First manually, and then he strangles her with the scarf that he got from Iko. He removed all of her clothes, put her on his bed, and attempted to have sex with her corpse. It, it only said attempted, so I don't think it worked. She was beheaded as well. And then Easter morning, he fled in Sarah's car. He drove over a thousand miles nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, and he said that he took caffeine pills to stay awake because he didn't stop. He apparently had guns and ammo and believed that he was the target of a of a manhunt. Babe, nobody knows they're dead. Literally, um, no going after you, babe. <laughs> literally, nobody knows. Literally. Um. So he was very disappointed when he. When he found out that he wasn't being chased. Can you imagine how stupid he was? Very sad. Oh, he took all those pills. He drove a thousand miles so that he gets there. And he's like, look out, they're all coming for me. And he gets there and it's like not a single person knows. Crickets. <laughs> Cricket. You're not Ted Bar You nerd. Nobody knows. They weren't looking for you. Okay. So he's very disappointed. And once he got to Pueblo, he found a payphone. And he actually calls the police because he's like, well they haven't found anything and they're not looking for me like <laughs> he just felt really dumb I guess you I don't know, know my name 
<laughs> so he calls the police and he confesses to the murders of his mother and Sarah, but the police don't take his call seriously. Oh my God. They tell him to call back later. <laughs> Can you, at that point, it would have been like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing then. <laughs> Bye. I would literally like not, not that this justifies it, but like, I could just imagine his attorney in court is like, he literally tried to call and confess and your, your officers didn't care. So why do you care now? Like <laughs> literally, exactly. why do you care now? Ridiculous. So. Several hours later, several hours later, he called back again and he asked to speak to an officer that he personally knew. He confessed again with details that only the co-ed killer would know. And then he just waited there for the police to arrive and arrest him. When he was arrested, he also confessed to the murders of the six other girls. And later in an interview, he's asked why he turned himself in. <clears throat> and he said, quote, the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was a pure waste of time emotionally, and I couldn't hold it in much longer. I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing, and at that point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it off. His mother was his real target the entire time. Okay, so then just kill her. Like, why did all these other people have I know. Like... Well, he says, my victims represented not what my mother was, but what she liked, what she coveted, and what was important to her. And I was destroying it. Ugh. But why not just kill her and not the other young women? Um, mm. Why come up with logic? Living with Clarnell um, brought Kemper right back to his childhood, and he said, My mother and I started right in the horrendous battles, just horrible battles. They were violent and vicious. Um, I will say, um, I'll try to find the link to it. There's a YouTube video that has all of Ed's interviews while he was in prison in order from, like, from start to finish. It's like an hour and a half long. Did I sit and watch it? Yes. Um, he's just a normal sounding dude. So the we're going to go ahead and get into the punishment here. Or his... I can't think of the word. The punishment. His sentencing. Thank you. <laughs> Two halves of a you guys. idiot. Here we are. <laughs> Kemper is arrested and later convicted with eight counts of first-degree murder. Kemper actually attempted suicide twice and even requested the death penalty, but was ultimately given seven concurrent life sentences instead. I love that. Yes. Ed was imprisoned at the California Medical Facility. He is now 72 years old, still alive, still in prison to this day. During his early years in prison, he would participate in interviews with reporters um, and law enforcement, and he would also interview with the FBI, and that really gave them, being the FBI, more of an insight into a serial killer's way of thinking, especially Ed, because like he was murdering these people, and then when he murdered his true target, he was done. Like He didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, you can, Like I said earlier, you can watch these videos on YouTube. 
And, and he is remember in his early he is the person on Mindhunter, like at least the first season. Yes. In it. I don't know if it's the whole season or if it's just a few episodes, but like I remember uh, I think Bridget has watched it. Shout out Bridget. And she said that the like guy they cast to play him like could not have been more spot on like where they found this guy, identical man that looked identical to him i've seen the pictures and i'm like oh my god like ugh. but you know they even said too like not necessarily mind hunter but when like bundy started spilling his guts there at the end they said that like they think he was doing it and like they kind of hoped that he had to like stay his execution because then the fbi could have just gotten more information out of him about like for the same thing like to understand how their brains work and like what mm-hmm. gets them to this point because it's at the end of the day it's it's fascinating to an extent because these are people that don't think like the average person does so you know we're all fascinated with what we think is odd and uh he was odd to say the least yeah it's very odd <laughs> it's very odd uh so remember his early years in prison he was actually always a model prisoner that continues like he's just the model prisoner um now ed is in charge of scheduling other inmates appointments with psychiatrists doing all those fun things and this was interesting to me he has spent over five thousand hours narrating audiobooks that include dune and star wars i've heard that i'm sure you've well i know um justin he listens to audiobooks a lot and he does the Star Wars books and stuff. So I'm pretty sure I've heard Ed's voice in passing. Which is just so freaky. Like, like. It's weird. But when you listen to him, he does have like, his voice is just. He's got a very nice narration voice. He does. He has a nice narrating voice. Um, I don't like to say that because, sir, you murdered people. I can't, but. It's not even just that. For some reason, I can't move past the holy rape to his dead mom. That. No, past that right now. I'm gonna. And you know, he said the reason, the reason he he was so interested in their heads, was because that's where the person is. Oh yeah, I mean, right. Like that's that's you in there. Yeah, bodies just once you from here down, you're just a body. Like you're up here. Yeah, and this is where you are. So it was it was more personal. Yeah. So guys, I got a big ass head. So what does that mean? Me too. <laughs> I got a big old brain. That's what it means. Got a big brain. Gary might beg to differ. So that's... <laughs> it's a big brain, girl. Don't tell him. Don't let him tell you no different. You heard that, Gary. Don't tell me no different. Anyway, that's the story of Edmund Kemper III. Ew. I'll tell you, I'm tired of hearing about Edmund Kemper III. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many videos I watched, how many articles I read. I just remember like the text coming through because this one, this one and Jack the Ripper, like Jack the Ripper was a beast unlike anything, but this is, this has been Emily's Jack the Ripper. Like, I feel like she's been telling me about her researching Ed Kimber for like a month now and everything. And like my episode's not even that long. It's just everything that I watch, like I would watch one thing and I'd be like, Ooh, what is this? And I would watch another thing and I'd be like, Ooh, what is this? Yeah, like, Ooh, that? piece of candy. What that? What that do? Yeah. So, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I don't. I don't want to say that I did, but I did. I'm just. You did. It's okay, girl. I just really still can't believe the first thing I went to was those song lyrics. Pop yo like this. Shake your body, don't stop, don't quit. All you ladies, pop yo like this. Shake your body, don't stop, don't quit. Just do it. 
do it. Do it, do it, do it now. Okay. Okay, we're gonna get That song is very rude. <laughs> Was that it? I definitely <laughs> I definitely do not know all of the words to that song. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. 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 we can do like they do on Hey Babe. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the more recent episodes, but they they're like oh, they're like today I watched one and they were like this shit is Hey Babe H E Y B A B E and it's like body <laughs> dancing in the background. <laughs> That's what we should do. Definitely take notes. Shout out Hey shout Babe. Out, hey Babe. We'll just start. That's a free shout out. Free shout out. They be shout out. Doing shout outs on their show all the time. That's where we got it from. But yeah, guys, so check us out on TikTok. It's Dark Damn Disturbed Pod. And then that's if Emily decides to ever post a TikTok again. <laughs> I'm um, like 20 episodes behind. <laughs> you're, like, you're going to be 30 episodes behind. And then Instagram is Dark Damn Disturbed Pod Podcast. And then the Gmail is Dark Damn Disturbed Podcast at gmail.com. I, I get no, just mixed pod. up. Just pod. Whatever. Dark Damn pod. <laughs> if you don't know it by now, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Go to another episode. Another episode. <laughs> no, okay. So it's Dark Damn Disturbed Podcast. That's the Instagram. Dark Damn Disturbed Pod yes. at gmail.com. Dark Damn Disturbed Pod is the TikTok. And then Emily made a Facebook page. It's Dark Damn. It's DDD Podcast, but you can find it at facebook.com slash Dark Damn Disturbed. Um, I feel like I just had an aneurysm trying to get all of that information out. But. It's okay, girl. We did it. Um, And we will catch you guys in the next one. Bye.